Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. I hope you're all having a fabulous week for the end of January. Can you believe January is almost over already this year? Jeez. Uh, you are listening to Deanna on Design on Blog Talk Radio, and I am your host, Eco Shui designer, author, and speaker, Deanna Radai. And we are going to be talking more about our Healthy New Year, Healthy Home, Healthy You series, uh, part three today. We are going to be talking about universal design principles and why they're important and why, especially with the aging population that we have here in the United States, um, and also just people with uh, physical and mental um, disabilities or challenges, uh, incorporating these principles into any design, any remodel, any new build, whether it's a residence or professional work setting, you know, you are just increasing, A, how many people can come into your home. Um, if you're selling your home, um, your buyer pool expands. Uh, making it more accessible to workers, um, that type of thing. And especially, you know, as we get older, just with little aches and pains or big aches and pains, uh, it just helps life quality and independence. So even just implementing some of the things slowly, you know, one at a time as you're doing a remodel, redesign or just upgrading or updating your space, it really will add value and quality to the life of everyone who lives in and uses the space. Uh, I try and, and incorporate universal design. It's part of Eco Shui and part of the philosophy, my design philosophy. Uh, when I work with clients and when I work on uh, my spaces, it's just something that I innately do. Um, and again, making it more accessible, which is what it's all about, as well as making it healthy and according to feng shui principles, which is eco shui. Uh, but we're going to talk about universal design today. Uh, there are seven principles to universal design. And so, again, this is just a, a primer of getting you familiar with some of the terms and when you're going into a hardware store, into a design showroom, uh, or working with a designer, if it's not myself, um, that when they are speaking, maybe using these buzzwords or terms, or you can jot down notes of what you want to incorporate into your space. So the first um, of the principles is equitable use. And this is the building or room's design should make it equally usable by everyone, okay? Ideally, the means for which people use the building, excuse me, building should be the same, obviously, living in the same space or doing the same type of work. Um, providing one means of entry to the building that works for everybody. Um, if it can't be identical, um, the several means provided must be equivalent in terms of privacy, security, safety, and convenience. So obviously, if you're putting in a handicapped ramp uh, for the, those users who are in a wheelchair, it has the same safety precautions as the lighting for another door where people who aren't in wheelchairs are in. You know, some of this is common sense, but again, making it equal for all users, people gaining entry into the space, into the room. 
So that's pretty um, explainable and kind of common sense. Um, principle number two is flexible use. Uh, the design should allow people to use its design features in more than one prescribed way, uh, providing a countertop orientation map that's viewable from either a seated or standing position. Um, again, you're seeing this a lot more, I uh, think, in retail, uh, where there is a lower ledge uh, for those who, again, are in wheelchairs and that they can easily access the credit card machine uh, where you can hand packages over, that type of thing. So when you see those now, uh, when you go out, I know, um, I believe I've seen these in Macy's um, and other um, large big box, okay? It should accommodate both left and right-handed. Now, this I have not seen. <laughs> uh, but again, thinking of people who are left-handed uh, when you're designing a kitchen, when you're designing a bathroom, um, even your doors gaining entry into a space. So think about that. Is it ambidextrous? And the building's design should have the built-in flexibility to be usable even when it is employed in an unconventional or unanticipated manner. Um, just thinking about multi-use spaces, okay, especially with um, the co-housing and tiny home trends that we're seeing right now uh, where rooms actually have two or three different functions. So how easily can the space transition from one use to another, okay? Um, thinking about campers, if anybody ever used an RV um, or those for camping when you were a kid, you know, think of what you packed into what, like 50, 60 square feet and how that space was used. This is what they're talking about. You see a lot of this in education spaces. Uh, think of daycare, uh, kindergarten, um, or great rooms, actually, because what are we using the great room for? So it, it's just kind of good to think of when you are looking at a space, even though it says bedroom, is this going to be an office? Is this going to be an art studio or craft room? Uh, is it also going to accommodate guests? How am I going to multi-purpose this space? Okay, we see a lot of it with guest bedroom slash home office. This is kind of what they're talking about here, okay? Principle number three, simple and it's intuitive. Remember the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. Um, the space should make it easy for everyone to understand the purpose of each feature and how to use it. <laughs> how do you use the faucets? How do you use the um, the toilet? How do you open the refrigerator? How do these cabinets open? Um, one of the examples is I a while ago I was in Chicago at Union Station and using the restroom. And they had these new hand dryers in there. And I thought, I'm a designer. You know, I should figure this out. Seriously, I stood there for a couple of minutes. I could not figure out how this dryer worked. It really wasn't motion-centered, you know. And so I'm trying to wave my hands in front of it. I look like a moron. Anyway, um, one of the workers 
um, at Union Station who one of the ticket agents saw me obviously struggling and helped me and showed me how you turn it on. So obviously it was not simple and intuitive. <laughs> so don't make your clients um, feel stupid, okay? Um, so obviously how it works, uh, readily apparent and relatively easy. Uh, remember it's means of use should be intuitively obvious uh, so that it operates as anticipated and therefore can be used spontaneously. The motion of sensors, you know, obviously just making sure it's obvious of where you're waving the hand or where you're moving in front of so people aren't looking like you're on candid camera or something like that looking silly. Okay, principle number four, perceptible information. The rumor building should provide all essential information in a variety of modes. Remember when we're talking universal design and accessible to everyone, someone might might be uh, sight impaired, okay, or hearing impaired. So you see a lot of signs now that have braille on it. So people who are sight impaired um, can easily get around with your wayfinding. So written, symbolic, uh, you see a lot of the icons, you know, on bathroom doors, kitchen doors, things like that, Uh, tactile and verbal to ensure effective communication with all users regardless of their sensory ability, okay? Information must be provided, presented with sufficient contrast to surrounding conditions so that it is distinguishable from its context and decipherable in all various modes of presentation. Uh, When I was in design school, we had to design a bathroom for someone who was sight impaired. And especially as we grow older as well, you know, our eyes yellow, so it changes the way we see color and the way we anticipate shadows and things like that. So when we design the bathroom and working with the teacher, it's the different types of lighting and the lamps that we use in the space and the color contrast. It was a much stronger color contrast so that the the person, our client who was sight impaired, could easily distinguish where the toilet was in the space, where the sink was. Uh, so thinking in terms of that. So it is important, um, like when I'm working with a client, we go through a 30-minute interview you know, where we're really getting into the heart of this type of thing. And if someone is sight impaired or, you know, just aging, it will affect, you know, how we design a lighting scheme, you know, in the space or what areas might have a little more high contrast of color and how we're accenting, you know, certain uh, pieces or areas or even the um, hallway and how to navigate hallways. All right, principle number five, tolerance for error. Um, Ideally, the building's design should eliminate, isolate, or shield any features that could prove hazardous, one would hope, that's me, um, or inconvenience to any user. Uh, When potentially dangerous conditions are unavoidable, users, users should receive warnings as they approach the design feature. Um, i.e. sensory modes near the top of stairs, you know, lights going on um, that are motion-centered, censored uh, for dark hallways, stairways, paths, 
things like that. Okay. Uh, the building's design should also anticipate accidental or unintended actions by any user to minimize the inconvenience and or protect the user from harm. Uh, one of the projects I was working on was a teenager who was going through back surgery and was going to have very limited mobility for about four months as he was rehabbing. You know, so for me, it was I actually put on a back brace and how do you get up out of bed? How easy was it to move around the space? How close we had to have the things? You know, for a while he was going to be bedridden, you know, so what what needed to be accessible for him as he was, you know, in bed recouping and then how could he move in the space? Um, also worked with a woman who had had a stroke and as we were working on the plan for her room, uh, or for the home, actually, it was going through and we had to pull up all the carpeting and redo the flooring to make it all one level because the walker that she was using would have gotten caught on the higher level, you know, like a shag carpet that was in there. So she couldn't easily maneuver through, uh, you know, because she couldn't pick up her feet to walk. It was shuffling and then having the walker. So these are all things that you need to think about, whether it's getting down on the level um, or, you know, thinking, actually making yourself immobile. Uh, principle six, low physical effort, path of least resistance to move things, putting things on level. Uh, replacing traditional knobs with lever handles for people who have arthritis or other mobility issues. Um, and then principle seven, size and space for approach and use. Um, we're down to 60 seconds on the show. So again, we're going to go over a little bit as we just kind of discuss some of these um, a little bit more in detail. So I encourage you to listen to the archive version uh, this is Deanna Radai on Deanna on Design on Blog Talk Radio, and you've been listening to part three in our series, Healthy New Year, Healthy Home, and Healthy You. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you stay on with us and listen to the archive version as we talk principles six and seven. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is now the archive, the extra features, if you will, because we ran out of time. Um, principle number six, the low physical effort. Um, think about, again, someone who is um, in a wheelchair, uh, someone who has arthritis, or someone who's frail, getting over um, an illness, someone who's going through chemotherapy, someone who has upper respiratory issues. And so any kind of movement or activity is actually very strenuous, okay? So we want low level of force. Uh, any user should be able to engage any feature without assuming an awkward or hazardous body position. Um, someone who's short, such as myself, I'm only five foot two, has more of an effort sometimes getting things in kitchen cabinets um, or even on the top shelf in a closet, 
you know, with somewhere that's tall ceilings. So I have to have a step stool in larger uh, master bedroom closets, things like that, garages, and even in kitchen, uh, you know, climbing on countertops isn't always the most graceful thing. Uh, But thinking of someone who doesn't have that mobility or that type of strength, you know, so it's having the pull-down racks, the pull-down clothing racks, which are fabulous, Um, valet rods in master bedroom closets, putting sinks and countertops where you can wheel the wheelchair up so that you can still do dishes, that you can get water at the sink, uh, that you can still cook. You know, um, just simple things like that. Just because you're in a wheelchair doesn't mean you can't cook, um, make things in the kitchen, using the restroom and being able to wash your hands. You know, so, you know, I encourage you to go into your bathroom and see if you were in a wheelchair, would you be able to use your bathroom? And nine times out of 10, the answer is going to be no. So this is what principle um, six is talking about. Um, I have a couple of friends right now, some business associates, all three of whom are taking care of their mothers. Uh, One is in late stages of Lou Gehrig's disease. It's very sad in the the efforts that she has had to go into to remodeling the house uh, to make things just livable and easy for herself. You know, even though she doesn't have you know, a physical or mental impairment, she's the caregiver and going up and down stairs, carrying somebody in and out of the, you know, into the bathroom, um, getting somebody into the shower or into a bathtub, you know, that's hard on her as well. And so think about having to do it with stairs or, you know, making things easier for her as well. So it's, it's for everyone involved, whether caregiver or not, okay? Path of least resistance. Think smooth travel surfaces with minimal slope. So this is what I was talking about when we had to change the flooring for the client who was who had the walker, okay? Um, now, in a case where someone was visually impaired, using different height flooring Um, thinking of a higher pile carpeting on your edges and a lower um, pile or even wood, you know, thinking wood to tile, you know, something like that, but that it's a transition space or helps guide. So again, depending on what the issue is, um, how can you make the, the transition and quality of life still good and high with pendants for that person, you know, not making them a prisoner in their own house or in a room. And then principle number seven, size and space for approach and use. Um, The design features should provide an adequate amount of space that's appropriately arranged to enable anyone to use them. Um, We talked about knee space under a washroom lavatory, the five-foot radius for a wheelchair to turn around, Okay, these are all things um, that you need to think about. And in addition, the space needs to be arranged to provide a clear path of travel to and from important design features. Thinking getting in and out of bed and then from bed to the closet, bed to the bathroom, 
from the door of the bathroom to the toilet to the shower um, to the bathtub, okay, to the stove, um, being able, again, to get to the sink and turn the faucet on. You know, a lot of everyday things that we take for granted, these are all the things that you have to think about. Um, when you are, when you need to, or when you want to start incorporating uh, universal design into your design scheme. Uh, so again, um, considerations for incorporating it. Um, observe the lifestyle, and what are the mobility and ability limitations? What can they do? What can't they do? What is an issue? that they're having issues with. Uh, putting yourself in all occupants of the space shoes and learning their activities. What do they like to do? You know, do they like to garden, getting in and out of the shower? What is important to them and what makes them feel independent, okay? Um, again, question what works, what doesn't. This is more um, if you're designing for somebody else or if you're designing for yourself, you know, if this is an issue. Okay, there is a lot of smart home technology that's available right now, and this is perfect for this application. Uh, putting your lights on one tablet where you can control the electronics, the lighting, the heating from a tablet or on a timer, you know, the Nest system for heating and cooling your home, um, voice recognition, um, you know, for the TV, for your computers, things like that. This, this is all universal design um, fueled, these things. And this is when I love uh, using these applications. Um, let's see. Uh, design stepless entries, wide doorways. Obviously, an older home doesn't have the doorway width for a wheelchair to get through. So that was always um, from the people in Milwaukee that I used to design for with a lot of the older homes that were there. You know, that was one of the biggest issues was the smaller hallways and the smaller doors. So look at that, especially um, if you're 50 and older and you're looking at moving into a, a new space. If it's not a new construction, chances are, you know, a smaller hallway and smaller doorways are something that you will have in a home that I believe for sure is going to be pre-1980. Um, you will have this as an issue. Uh, you want to build platforms around bathtubs to provide ledges to help you get in and out easy. Uh, tubs should have non-slip surfaces, never non-slip mats. Okay, they do slip. Uh, non-slip flooring should be placed in areas where liquids can spill. Obviously, bathrooms, kitchens, entryways. I want to add that. Mudrooms, porches. Um, you know, I am in good shape physically. However, the one accident I did have was slipping on my back stoop. Uh, there was black ice on there, and I took a step out. I didn't properly have, you know, my hand on the door or on the, the guardrail for the porch, and I went flying and got hurt very badly. Um, so slipping hazards, tripping hazards, you do need to look um, at all entryways and hallways in your space. 
And if you have any kind of area rug, making sure that it is anchored so that your foot doesn't catch on it because if you can trip on it, you will at some point. <laughs> okay. Uh, think padded shower and bath seats uh, to provide comfort and handheld showers so everyone can benefit. This is also great, too, um, if you garden or if you have a dog, <laughs> okay, and you don't go to a groomer, um, having the handheld uh, shower handle is fabulous. Um, also think taller toilets, um, A, for people who are taller, uh, but also for people who are in wheelchairs or have any kind of orthopedic issues with knees, hips, things like that, that it's easier um, to get on and off the toilet. Again, things that we kind of take for granted. Um, let's see. All bathrooms, you grab rails, okay, um, at the toilet, in the shower, um, horizontal and vertical. Um, you can also get uh, from OXO, O-X-O, uh, Good Grips. You can get these at Container Store, Bed Bath & Beyond. And it's very strong suction cups that you can get and they will stick to any surface so you're not doing any kind of drilling things like that everybody should have have that because again that's another area where it's very easy to lose your footing and slip and fall okay and that would be kind of embarrassing um, to have to call 911 if you could call 911 after slipping in the shower um or tub. Um, radiant flooring, radiant heating in the flooring, um, heated towel bars, even heated lights, proper venting man in your bathroom. That's probably the number one thing I see, um, that proper venting, and we talked about that in the allergies, mold, and mildew. Make sure you have that ventilation fan and make sure that it vents out, that it's just not circulating wet air up into your attic. Okay, that's very important. And again, refer to the previous episode on that. Um, lastly, bedrooms and bathrooms um, or a room that's easily adapted into that space. Every home should have a first floor uh, room that can be adapted into a bedroom. Again, as we age or if someone has an injury, you know, someone in a family you know, whether you have kids, um, someone's going to break a leg, sprain an ankle, things like that. And climbing a bunch of stairs a couple times a day uh, just ain't going to cut it, <laughs> you know. So having a room on the first floor that can easily be converted into a bedroom if need be. Um, and then obviously having a bathroom on the first floor as well. Um Create one level per floor. Uh, I'm not pro raised rooms or sunken rooms. One that's very bad feng shui, uh, so you don't want that. But again, think of it. You know, it's a couple of stairs you're going up, a couple of stairs you're going down. One, it's an easy tripping hazard. Uh, two, as you get older, uh, it's it's hard and it can wear and tear on you. Um, I had one client that the house they were looking at, we called it the Jabberwocky house. It was horrifying, and I, it, it was just horrifying. Anyway, I hope you got a lot of great tips in this episode. And any questions, you know, you can always contact us at deannaondesign at gmail.com. And I wish you all a happy
happy, healthy New Year, healthy health, and healthy youth. Till next time.